guys welcome Pastor Sandy Lofberg. Thank you. When Pastor Sean first said that he wanted to do the four squares, I don't even know, maybe he was going to do all four, but I immediately volunteered for healing because healing's personal. And um, I found out that the cup, I, I don't know why I, I thought this, but the, I thought the cup was communion. And then it was Father's Day, and I thought, man, look at all these things that are coming together for healing. But the cup is the cup of anointing oil. And, well, I didn't do nothing. You got me, Matt? <laughs> it's from James 5, 14 and 15. And on your handouts, I love the Word of God. And there was way too little space. We would have had to have a font two to get all the scriptures in, but there's a lot of references in there. But in James 5, 14 and 15, it says, is any sick among you? Let him call. First, that person has to make um, an effort and call for the elders of the church and let them, they have to respond. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. That's a promise. But there's some qualifications in there. Healing is a direct connection with our Abba. Jehovah Rapha is one of his compound names. In Exodus 15, he says, I am the Lord who heals you, Jehovah Rapha. I was not raised in the church. I was raised in a, a Unitarian home. And we had opportunities to um, discover lots of different paths to God, if there was a God. They weren't even 100% sure of that. They just said, well, if there is, this might be a way you could get there, or this could be, or some people think this, but some of us think that there might be. So there you go. That, that was my religious training. And I came to encounter some Jesus people when we lived in England. They were um, straight out of, of San Francisco and um, they just oozed Jesus. And I thought, I, I don't know who, who he, she is. I got kind of distracted on some of my paths to find the, the universal life force or the he, she, God or Jehovah or whatever that is, I know you're out there if you're a you, but I know when I encounter his presence. Those folks were just filled with his presence. But then we left England, they left England, and we came to Mountain Home, Idaho. And that's another whole little journey about how we got there. But I ran into some of the same people. And they had a Bible study, the, the choir director, um, had a Bible study right next door to me in the same duplex. It was such a divine setup. And the, that first Bible study, I found out all you have to do is ask God to forgive you, and he does. That was a foreign concept to me. I was so excited. I, she passed out these little scriptures. Mine was 1 John 1, 9. If you, were, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I was so excited. I told John, I said, 
All you have to do is ask God to forgive you, and he does. He said, everybody knows that. You knew that. He was raised Lutheran. He did know that. But he didn't know that I didn't know that. So I was healed spiritually when Jesus came into my heart. Then, a few weeks later, the topic was on healing. It was a topical Bible study. And I used to be a chronic asthmatic and had allergies to everything. I took oral medication, shots in my arms, always carried a metahaler. And we got in there and the Nancy, just that was the leader, she just looked at me with this really funny, intense, you know when you've encountered people that do this, they look right through you, but they see you and they love you. And, they, and she just said, I'm so glad you came this morning. And I thought, okay, I'm glad too. So I, I was sitting on the couch, there, she was quoting from the word and then from an Agnes Sanford book called His Healing Light. And all of a sudden, I started having an asthma attack. Nobody was sitting around me with perfume. I hadn't eaten anything. I was just sitting there having an asthma attack. And somehow, she ended up next to me. And she said, I knew today God wanted to heal you. Do you believe God could heal you? She used the right word, could. I thought he could. I mean, he's God. He could do anything. He created the universe. He could do it. But I didn't think he would. Because I was only a brand new Christian. And he had lots of other people that were much better shaped or, or much more needy than I was. So I was shocked. It was definitely not my faith. When they prayed for me and I got healed. And I had pleurisy at the time too, which is an infection of the lining of your lung and it's very painful to move your arm. And she said, just raise your hands and praise God. And I just went like this and I went, I can raise my hands. And they didn't know that that was an issue. <laughs> they couldn't figure out why, okay, you're healed of asthma and you're excited because you can raise your hands. But it was a personal thing. When I asked Jesus to come into my heart, I knew he died for the sins of the world. And I was part of that. I was a little speck in the whole mass of humanity. But when he healed me and touched my body, that was personal. Isaiah 61, 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison doors to those who are bound and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus quotes this in Luke 14. It's a little bit different. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. That one isn't in the Isaiah portion. I looked it up in several translations. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He doesn't go on to say the vengeance because he wasn't there to do the vengeance. He was there to proclaim the goodness and the favor of God. I started, as soon as um, I volunteered for this, 
this square, I started underlining every place where Jesus healed. And that Bible got lost somewhere in Nebraska. And I had to start all over, but I met a guy in Aruba who said, I see the loss and the sorrow that you felt over losing your Bible that I'd had for 27 years and highlighted and notes and, you know, and all this stuff. And he said, but God wants to show you some fresh things out of a new Bible. So I started again. So I've been in these healing passages for a long time. Um, and in Matthew 4.23, oh, I should have, where's the one? I, I have to see what you see um, so that I know that I'm with you. Okay. So, and they said it in the, um, did I just go over that too fast, that healing is his name? Oh, come on, Lord. Where? Oh, that he is the Lord that heals. Did I say that? I get off script. Um, but healing is a direct correct, uh, connection because it's part of who he is. I did say that. Jehovah Rafika. Yeah, the Lord who heals. He is our healer. And he wants to heal us physically, emotionally, spiritually. And even in Second Corinthians or Second Chronicles 7.14, when it talks about um, my people, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and I'll find the page. Um, and, um, oh Lord. Well, I didn't put, oh, there it is. Called by my name and humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever seen any of George Otis Jr.'s um, documentaries on God's healing of the land um, all over the world. And actually, George is going to be here in Pine Ridge this week. Um, they're looking at doing a documentary about the move of God on Pine Ridge. Um, but God wants to heal us physically, emotionally, spiritually, and even environmentally, healing our land. But sickness is a result of sin. And... Um, sometimes it's specific sins, and I want to cover some of those today. Matthew 13, 58, he didn't do the many miracles um, in Capernaum because of their unbelief. It was un the sin of unbelief. And like when I was healed, I didn't have unbelief, I just didn't believe. Um, there's a difference because when you, when you are in unbelief, you are against believing. I just was... At like an agnostic, I didn't know. Romans fourteen twenty three. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he's eating is because he is eating and he is not from faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. You know when Jesus said, "Be it unto you according to your faith," that can be a negative faith too. You can believe that you're that something's not going to happen or. Um, I remember, oh, I have to be careful because I really want to honor the time. But we have this expression sometimes, well, that figures. Well, and of course, this, usually negative. But my mind really has been flipped in the favor of God about, well, of course that's going to happen. Yes, 
bad figures because God is good and I walk in the favor of God. I expect good things to happen and guess what they do? Because we all are favored and blessed by the Lord. The antidote, of course, to unbelief is faith. And quoting back to the James 5 passage, the prayer offered in faith restores the one who is sick. In Matthew 8, 13, that's when Jesus said to the centurion, go, it shall be done for you if you have believed. When that, that's when the um, centurion asked him to come to his, to his house. And the centurion, um, Jesus said, um, oh, okay, and, and the, I'll come. And, and centurion said, no, you don't even need to come. Just say the word because I'm a man under authority. And I understand when you say the word, that which you are in authority over will respond. And that's when Jesus said, it's your faith because you have believed. And, and the servant was healed that very moment. And then in Matthew 9, when he entered the house, the blind man came up to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? That's sort of like what they asked me. Do you believe that he would or that he could? Yeah, I believe he could. And it was interesting, I went back to some of my Foursquare books and they were talking about when, when the could becomes would. Then, and he said, yes, I believe. And then he was healed. And I say to you, um, all things for which you pray, ask and believe that you've received them and they will be granted to you. Another thing that can inhibit um, healing or inhibit healing or even cause healing is the sin of unforgiveness. And that's including yourself. So often we are able to work through some of the things that have happened to us, but then forgiving ourselves. And I, I, I always pay attention to what the Lord's speaking in the worship. Um, no shame or guilt, or guilt. He heals that. He washes us from all unrighteousness. And we can't have a standard that's higher than God's. If God has forgiven us, we, we need to forgive ourselves. Acts 8.23, I see you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Hebrews 12.15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. We come short from the, of the grace of God when we allow bitterness to, to spring up and, and bitterness um, causes um, us to be defiled. And again, the antidote, God's always got an antidote, is forgiveness. When um, we were living in Mountain Home, uh, we had a, um, our youngest daughter had some eye problems that they had discovered in, in England when she was three. Then we moved to Idaho and we always went to the eye doctor. We, went, we did whatever that doctor told us to do. And we just kept getting stronger and stronger lenses until the poor kid looked like she had Coke bottle lenses, you know, I mean, just really huge lenses. We went back to England and made an appointment at the eye doctor. And they said, do you see an optometrist or an ophthalmologist? I said, I don't know, we just go to the eye doctor. It's a military installation. We just go to the eye doctor. We do what they say. And so they said, well, we'll start you off with the ophthalmologist for a good 
um, initial exam. So we go to the ophthalmologist and she's looking through Dana's chart and she said, why hasn't this child been in treatment? This condition was discovered when she was three years old. Why hasn't she been in treatment? I said, we did everything that the doctor told us to do. And she starts looking through the chart. And she notices that this doctor just kept prescribing stronger and stronger lenses because he was an optometrist, not an ophthalmologist. But that was interesting. She said, well, he is under my charge. He's in now at Bentwaters Air Force Base. And I oversee ophthalmology and optometry. I will make sure this does not happen again. In the meantime, I can't give you much hope. She's 20, 2100 in her vision. And we said, you don't have to give us hope. You just do what you do, and we will do what we do, and that's pray. And she was kind of, you know, when you run into people that don't understand the power of prayer, they just kind of, oh, that's so cute. You don't understand the situation. We went home and we forgave that doctor. That was in November. We went back in April and the ophthalmologist said, if I had not done this exam in November, I would have thought whoever did that one was in, in error because she is now 2,600 and we've had five years of um, therapy in five months. But the power to unlock that healing was in forgiveness. Ephesians 4:32 says, "Be kind to one another, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. Another thing that um, can be a, a sin in the camp, literally, is um, judgment and criticism of, of leaders. Um, none of us are perfect. None of us who are in ministry are perfect. Only God is perfect. We do the best with what we have and what we know, and we continue to um, walk in deeper and deeper into the heart of God and in the revelation of, of his love for us. But Miriam, Moses' sister, um, was critical and judgmental of, of her brother. She didn't like the way he was doing things. Um, and leprosy came upon her. And she, would repent, she was cast out of the camp, but she repented and was restored. And it says even in Numbers that they didn't move until she was back. So they waited for that, that season of her healing and cleansing and came back into the camp. And then it's interesting, I was just happened to think about when they crossed over the Jordan, the first time an instrument is mentioned in um, scripture is when um, Miriam played the tambourine and said, come on girls, we're gonna dance. And I, I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider have been thrown into the sea. That's, that's from Miriam's, that's Miriam's song. Um, Michael, judging her husband David, she thought his expression of um, praise was a little exuberant, a little over the top, David. You know, let's get, get some clothes on. And uh, she was barren the rest of her life. She never repented. She just criticized her husband. Another one that um, never repented was um, uh, King Hosea. And he 
he um, was doing some things that only the priests were supposed to be doing. And the priest said, hey, dude, you know, this is our job, not the king's job, the priest's job. And he criticized them, judged them, um, and uh, he ended up getting sick too. And he also never repented. You know, there's, when, when, when God's dealing with us, and Paul has a couple afflictions, but when we can walk in repentance and find out what is it that's going wrong, because we're doing something. Sometimes it's us doing something, but not always. Because sometimes um, when we're carrying burdens or anxiety or grief, that's things that happened around us. But um, we, we need to cast those things onto Jesus. He, he was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He understands those things. But when we continue to carry them and not allow the healing to restore us and, and to relieve us, then, then our, those physical things can manifest. Even, um, even things where, where that's part of what my asthma was related to, unforgiveness and fear. Things manifest in our bodies when we're carrying things that he carried. He says in Matthew 11:28, 28, he said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When our souls are at dis-ease and disease can manifest, Go to the Lord and ask him because he is amazing at relieving all kinds of things. Sometimes we don't know what it is. That's when we have to ask him to show us what it was. This was one of my freedom um, scriptures, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And when you do that, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. Your heart and your mind um, in Christ. Because sometimes um, it is a um, demonic influence as well. Um, demons are still running around. Demons are still manifesting and, in, and impeding the church's growth. It's real interesting. Um, I don't know how many of you saw the movie Come, uh, Come Out in Jesus' Name or Nefarious. I mean, there, even um, documentaries are being made about deliverances that the church, where the church is recognizing, guess what? He's told us to, to heal and to cast out demons and to raise the dead. It's still very much a part of the life of a believer. When, um, after I was healed physically of the asthma and the allergies, I needed my, my spirit healed from fear. I had a lot of, of childhood trauma. Um, forgiving my dad was one thing, but then getting healed from the fear, some of the fear um, was something that I needed to do. And it, when I was 29, I decided that I was not gonna take fear all my, the fears, I mean, I was plagued with fear. Fear of speaking, doing this. When I was in high school, I had to come after school with a couple friends because otherwise I would have an asthma attack, I would start to vomit. I mean, 
the fear of man was not only a snare, I mean, I was snared and up in the tree upside down. Fear of heights, fear of motorcycles. Had a couple friends get killed on motorcycles. So I learned on a Honda 650, was it John? 350, anyway, I learned how to ride a motorcycle to conquer that fear. Fear of heights, took a rock climbing class, went down an 85 foot straight down rappel because I was not gonna allow fear to torment me anymore. I've even spoken in front of like 5,000 people. I wasn't completely calm, but I mean, I did it and it was, it, God was good. So de uh, definitely deliverance is a needed ministry in the church. And it's interesting, um, one of the things that they give you or give people when they're having an asthma attack, they give them a shot of epinephrine. And epinephrine is a, is a hormone, I think it's a hormone, Nurses, is it a hormone? It's epinephrine. Anyway, your body already has it. Your body produces it when you laugh or sing. A cheerful heart literally does good like medicine because when you laugh or sing, your body produces epinephrine. And if you are in fear and torment, you need epinephrine shot into you. It's just an interesting thing of how we're made and how God knows what he's doing. So, but we don't need to be afraid of the demons. For one thing, we've got them outnumbered two to one. I love this story, and um, I don't know whether it's first or second Kings, but Gehazi, Elijah's servant, is um, going, oh, we are surrounded by the Amorites and the Hittites and the Parasites and the Termites, and they're gonna come get us. And, and, he, and Elijah just says, oh Lord, just open his eyes to see the rest of the story. And he sees the chariots and the angels and he's like, hey, we're bad. We got this. But we, that's how it is for us. We just don't usually see it with our eyes, but we can know because he's faithful to his word and because he said that the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds in every vain and lofty imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. Those weapons are like, I mean, bigger, bigger, better than bazookas. I, I am in a prayer ministry with a bunch of former snipers and Green Berets and Black Ops guys, and they talk about their weapons, but then they also talk about the weapons of our warfare. Um, so one of the weapons is that the Holy Spirit, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And sometimes when we are overwhelmed by what we're seeing in the natural things of the demonic realm, um, we can get overwhelmed unless we remember who is in us and that the Holy Spirit in us, am I going too close to the speaker? The, the, he, the spirit that's within us is greater than he that is in the world. I remember going into Sarajevo um, on a prayer thing and we went into the area what was called the dragon's eye and it was full of the occult and it was just like, we are here and we are carriers of the presence of the living God. And we are not intimidated by this darkness because we are light bringers and there's no speed of dark, just the speed of light. I don't know how many of you remember, we used to have um, psychic fairs here. I loved them. Bruce Edwards and I talked about having a table in there and just doing life readings because you don't want to say prophetic ministry you don't want to say 
do you want to hear from the living God? Do you want to accept Jesus as your savior? So we were speaking their language and um, I just loved going in there. I, I had friends that would walk around the outside of the building, but it was hard finding people that wanted to go inside right up to the fortune teller's table. And there's usually health um, kind of things, health booths and stuff. And so we'd go up there and pretend like we're reading to each other in a foreign language. And this fortune teller said to this guy, I'm sorry, you're going to have to come back later because I can't um, get anything right now. Uh, just come back later. But the Lord said, he came to seek me. And I said, give me a word for him, Lord. And we met on the staircase. I was coming down, he was coming up. And I said, there he is, Lord, give him to me. <laughs> and he turned around and looked up at me and I gave him the word and he got all cheery and he said, thank you, ma'am. That's what I came to hear. We have what they're looking for. They're not finding it in the churches so they're going out to find power other places. I found power other places, but the Lord brought me back because he saw my heart was seeking him. But I wasn't, what I was finding in the, in the churches was um, condemnation and self-righteousness. So um, when people aren't living this, the high standard that we live because of our righteousness in Christ, let's remember where they're starting from and where we have been and the grace that's been given to us. Then we can share the love of God with them. The word, Matthew 18, 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind in on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. That's a lot of authority. And we need to understand what we're doing and walking when we're binding and loosing. But he has given us that authority to bind bind up the brokenhearted, to loose the, those that are bound. He's given us that authority in his word. And then the name of Jesus in Acts 16, 18. This is, like, I love this story. So Paul and Silas are walking um, in Philippi, in Philippi, I think. Not sure about that. Anyway, so they're walking down the streets and there's this woman going before them saying, Pay attention to these guys. These are men from the Most High God. They're the men from the Most High God. But she had a spirit of divination. And what she was saying was true. But her, her spirit wasn't right. Because see, if she could get validation saying, these men are from the Most High God, which was true, then people might believe other things that she was saying, would say that are not. But so Paul looks at her um, and he says, he, in the New American, he was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. And the guys that were using her, um, manipulate, I mean, she was really being trafficked um, as the spiritist. And so then they were upset because then she got free and probably followed um, Paul and Silas. And then the blood of the lamb, Revelation 12:11, and they overcame him, speaking of the enemy, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and that they loved not their lives unto death. Now, all three of those are weapons that, to overcome. The blood of the lamb, of course, is the blood of Jesus, 
that speaks a better word than any other, any other prognosis, any other declaration. The blood of Jesus speaks a better and higher word. The word of our testimony is what you know to be true. I had a friend who was, a, I was this was the theme of a retreat I was speaking at in Idaho, and the um, area president happened to be a prosecuting attorney. So I was interviewing her about what do you look for in a witness? And um, she said, well, we look for somebody who's going to collaborate with us and that their story is going to line up with what um, our um, judgment or our accusation is. And I thought, so it's our testimony is what we know to be true from our experience. Our experience with the blood of the lamb, with the grace of God, our experience, we don't have to have a theological degree. We just share out of our experience and that is what defeats the enemy. And then, um, oh, when I was in Tanzania, Africa, that was like my first time in Africa and um, there's a lot of demonic activity there. And my first message was about knowing who I was because they didn't know me, the bishop and his wife knew me but um, nobody else knew me. So I was sharing my testimony. I was sharing about the bondages and being freed from fear. And I knew that I wanted to have people pray to, be, to uh, minister to people with fear. And they had these um, uh, modesty um, shawls, um, little um, blankets that you, you see sometimes in churches with people falling over and then they'll cover them. And um, I, so I thought, oh good, they're used to seeing people falling down in the spirit. And, and I said, no, that's to tie people's legs up when they're writhing on the floor. I thought, greater is he that is in me. <laughs> and this woman came up to me, she was sitting right in front of me on the whole message and just this oppression all over her. She came straight toward me and um, all I did is look into her eyes and say, the perfect love of God casts out all fear. About that tone and about that volume, the perfect love of God casts out all fear. And she started to shake and she was delivered and the bishop came over because usually when somebody gets close to her to minister to them, she reaches out and scratches them and bites them. But the perfect love of God cast out all fear. It's not about the volume and how many times you're screaming in the name of Jesus. It's just the presence and power of God that sets them free. Another um, thing that's on your, I think it's on your, uh, is words of knowledge. One of the things that I learned way back uh, under John Wimber, actually, was that when God gives a word of knowledge, he intends to watch over his word to perform it. And I had an interesting experience with, um, back in the 80s, at a worship service at Central Assembly in Boise, Idaho. We lived in Mountain Home, about 45 miles away and, and just would go to Central Assembly sometimes for their adult education classes. And so I, I went into the sanctuary, my, my class got canceled, and I didn't know it until I got there, but when, in addition to the classes, they had 
Worship Wednesday. <laughs> and there's 200, 250 people in there. We're, we're, we're worshiping, lost in wonder, love and praise. And I'm sitting in a couple rows back about where Sandy is. And my friend was leading the worship and she said, Sandy, do you have a word? And I said, I'm a, I don't go to this church. She said, well, we're all gonna just wait. I believe my sister has a word. No pressure. But he did start to give me a word of knowledge. And so I'm telling her it's somebody with pain on their right side. It's not menstrual and it's not appendicitis. Um, it's somebody, and I'm telling her things that the Lord's given me and she's putting it in the microphone. And I said, it's a later middle-aged woman and she didn't say that because that lady was walking down the aisle. So we got down there and I asked her, what, what is causing your pain? Do you know? She said, yes, it's advanced bowel cancer. Again, greater is he that is in me. And if the Lord's gonna give me a word of knowledge, he intends to do something about it. What, and so I, we prayed for her, the elders came, we, the Lord started giving, she was set free, went in the bathroom, got take purged of the um, cancer, Lord started giving me other words of knowledge. But see what I didn't know, and you may have even read this book, Pastor Roland Buck of that church, who had died mm, about five years previously, wrote a book called Angels on Assignment. He was sort of a precursor to all the angelic books that are being written now. But Pastor Buck was in a glow, had been a glow advisor, and, um, but after he wrote that book, a lot of crazy people showed up. They wanted to see the angels and then they also wanted to share what they knew about angels and then they also wanted to manifest their um, spirituality. And so they made the, the unfortunate decision to shut down all spiritual ministry. No words of knowledge, no praying for healing, no prophetic, they shut it all down. I have an expression, embrace cluelessness. I didn't know that they shut it down. I'm a dead, but she also knew that there's an anointing on me to be a battering ram. That's true. I've had that word spoken, big guys, Chuck Flynn and Bob Jones to be two. My forehead is like Flint. And that's, that's a divine healing in my life because I was so always caving to the, to the opinions of man and the expectations of man and caving, caving. And when the Lord put a backbone in me and put, made my forehead like flint, Bob Jones is the one that said, you can, he can use you like a battering ram to break through walls of, re, of religiosity and he'll use you to break through walls. So I said, okay. That was a, I didn't know that that was gonna manifest that way, but it did. And um, the thing is, is that when, when we are in fear, we'll shut down. But if I'd known, I might've been intimidated. No, we don't do that here. We don't do that here. But that's what God said. I already did the weapons of her. Oh, I'm on page five. Okay, is it God's will to heal? So often we pray and we say, if it be your will. We need to know going into it, it's God's will. 
I think sometimes we say, if it be your will, because then if they aren't healed the way we're expecting, then we can always say, well, it must not have been God's will to heal. It's God's will to heal. He said it, it's part of his identity. I am the Lord, your healer. There were 27 times of he recorded healings just by Jesus. There's all kinds of healings in the New Testament. I don't have time to go into all of that. But Jesus only did the will of the Father. And he healed the sick. And he cast out demons. And he restored people's souls. It is God's will. Do we ever say, I wonder if it's God's will for that person to be saved? It's God's will. We can know confidently when we pray that it is God's will to heal. We might not know how or the way. Even in death is God's healing. That's not our favorite way. We want him, want him to be healed here. It was, it was interesting at, at the funeral um, for Tricia, how many people were there celebrating her life. And I hope that people came to faith that her life would be something that drew um, people to faith even in her death. But we, our, our loss clouds what we think of when in death, that that's an ultimate healing, people being completely set free. And Lance Walnow was telling us a story about how the, this friend of his had died and he was dead for 45 minutes. And his wife is going, no, Mark, come back, come back. And he's up there going, this is glorious. Come on, honey, you should join me up here. <laughs> he was praying for her to come there because it's so wonderful. We just have to change how we think when God heals in death. I, don't, I somehow didn't put it on my, my notes, but I know it's in Psalm 116, faithful. Faithful in the eyes of God. No, God delights in the death of his godly ones because he's in full relationship with them and they are completely free from all the encumbrances of sin on earth. We are empowered by God to heal sicknesses, disease, cast out demons, and raise the dead. He's given us the power and the authority to do that. He says in John 14, 16, and 17, I will ask the Father, and he'll give you a helper, that he may be with you forever. And that is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. The spirit of the living God, the creator of the universe, dwells within you. He dwells within us.